ready to get in the word? Okay, now I'm going to try to do this. I know I said I was in the last part of, of, of my I Am series, and then last week I got to a certain point in the message, and God said, stop. And I went, okay, God, I've only gotten through a few of my pages, but God said, stop. So we've been in this series, so this is part 7B of part 7. Part 7, part 2, whatever you want to call it, this is where we are right now because I have to deal with this one. And we were dealing with the scripture where Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. And for those of you that haven't been here, maybe it's your first time here, we've been dealing with the understanding of knowing who Jesus is, what his role is in our lives so that we can access the Father. For the Bible says that Jesus came with the ministry of reconciliation to the Father. So if, we, if all we ever do is live our lives as believers under Jesus, then we have not accessed the Father's house. Therefore, we are still illegitimate children. I hate to break it to you that way, but just having Jesus doesn't make you, it doesn't make you legitimate. The whole ministry of Jesus was to bring you home to the Father. I've, I've, I've come to understand that there's a lot of homelessness in the church. There's a lot of homelessness existing in the church today. Because we don't want relationship with the Father. We just want relationship with Jesus because the Bible says he's our elder brother. And when he says something I don't want to listen to, I can disregard him and shove him off. But what you don't realize is because the three are one and the one are three, when you reject Jesus, you reject the Father. See, and this is this, this, is this weird place of understanding because the church culture has dwindled it down to a very comfortable space where, where we, just, we, just, we just want Jesus. We just, we just want Jesus. We just, that's all we want is Jesus. When the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. In other words, he's not the thing. He's a part of the thing. He has a role in the process of getting you back to the Father. And so the first week we dealt with the, the message called I Am. The second week we dealt with I Am the Bread of Life. We dealt with I Am the Light of the World. I Am the Door. I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. And then I Am the True Vine. And then it led us to this next statement, which says in John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, where he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You underline in your Bibles, underline those two words, resurrection and life. If Jesus says, I am the resurrection, in other words, he wants to pick you up out of your dead stuff and cause you to walk in a greater way. So if dead things are around you, maybe he's not become your resurrection yet. If you're more talking about death than you are life, then maybe Jesus hasn't become the fulfillment of you yet. Maybe he's just a visitation on Sundays rather than the purpose of your existence. Maybe you're just doing church because that's what church folk do in southeast Louisiana. I've, can I just say this is a sidebar? And I, look, I, I've got a lot of checks in my chest right now about a lot of things about the church as a whole. Can I just say this to you? I, I, we've got to break the cycle that we just go to church because it's Sunday. Oh, I just go to church because it's Sunday. That's what I do as a, as a believer. Can I just tell you this? Believers don't go to church on Sunday. They just go to church. <laughs> because their desire is relationship with God. They don't do it because, well, if I go for an hour and a half on a Sunday, then God will see me worthy and accept me. Satan came with some people to church this morning. Amen. Yeah, Some of y'all woke up in some stuff this morning. Pastor Troy was telling me all the stuff that went off at his house this morning. He said, the devil came for us. Listen, just because it's Sunday doesn't mean the devil's asleep. Going, it's not my day. This is God's day. I can't do No. If the devil gets up and comes to church. Okay. So we've been dealing with this. And, 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 and so in this scripture, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me shall never die. And he says to Martha, he says, do you believe this? And we got on. We got all the way. And I'm going to go forward. 
Malachi just because uh, we got all the way to John chapter 11, verse 21. And this is where I got stuck was because it says, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. And if you go back and read the story in John chapter 11, you'll get where I'm at. But for time's sake, I've just got to pick up where we left off. Because in John chapter 11, verse 21, if you'd have just been there, and this is something we say to God all the time, God, if you'd have just done this, if you'd have just, God, if you didn't let me go through this and this and that, we whine. We complain about our current circumstances, but we want eternal reward. Think about what I just said. We complain about our present circumstances if God is not there, but then we beg God for the eternal reward. Do you understand that in order to get the eternal reward, he has to be your ever-present help in time of need? He has to be in the midst of your existence, not, the, not in the midst of your completion. But yet we all focus on, well, if I do this and do that, I'll get to heaven. No, Martha's saying in this moment, friends with Jesus, Lazarus and his sister Mary, they're all, they're all really tight. And, and, and Jesus has come back, and he's come back to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha runs out to him, leaves the house of mourning, runs all the way out to him and said, if you'd have just been here, this would have never happened. Can I tell you how many church people talk just like that to God? And I don't understand it. I don't understand. It's like this. It's like it's it's this. It's like this statement right here. Uh, if you if God God if you'd have just saved them, they wouldn't have died. Then obviously you haven't read your word, because the word says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So what you've just said is that God, you're the author of death, and you bring no life. See, this is a hard place to get in most people because most people don't want to talk about the finality of a thing. And the reason we don't want to talk about a finality of a thing is because most of us truly live our lives as if this is the finality of a thing. That when I'm done here, it's over. No, when you're done here, baby, it's just beginning. This was just a temporary assignment until the eternity that Christ has called you to. See, we don't want to talk about this anymore in the church because we want all of our cookies and cake now. We want all of our rewards. Now, God, just give me what I want. And if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to that church anymore because it's their fault. It's, it's not in your Bible. No, the word is to get you to eternity, not to the earth. It's to get you through the earth to heaven. But most, of, most people in the church, they don't even want to talk about this anymore because all of us want the reward now. We, we go from church to church to church to church looking for the right church that's going to fit us because we want, we want all of the creature comforts now. And I say this all the time. Most believers today would have failed during Jesus' era because most of us wouldn't have sat on a hillside waiting for Jesus to talk. We wouldn't have waited for the Sermon on the Mount. We'd have been like, oh, he's late. Jesus, where's the AC? You're Jesus. Where's my chair? You're Jesus. Can you make this hill a little softer, Jesus? Can you make the sun go away, Jesus? Can you make it cloudy so we can just chill? Can you make the breeze go a little bit better? See, this is what we do in the church. Uh, I'm going to say it. Not trying to hurt feelings. Can you not preach so long, Pastor? Can you stop yelling, Pastor? Pastor, I really like worship, but can you shorten it a little bit? Pastor, lunchtime is at 12 o'clock, and I'm always having to wait in the restaurant for my seat because all the Baptist people got there before me. <laughs> Pastor, I just can't make it to church at 10 o'clock. Well, do you want to do it to 9 o'clock? No, I want 10 o'clock. But you don't even come to a 10 o'clock service. Well, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> Pastor, it's so cold. 
Okay, I get it. My wife tells me it every Sunday. Then I invite her up onto the stage where each one of these lights produce 98 degrees of heat. There are 16 pointing at this stage at least, and I'm standing here. I don't feel air. I feel hot. So I'm trying to preach heaven while feeling hell all at the same time. Well, there's not enough things for me to get plugged into, Pastor. There's not enough things for me to be involved with. Uh, Life groups. I I don't feel like I'm being used in a church. There's serve team. Yeah, but I don't want to work with the kids. So what do you want? Well, I want to do what you do. Don't ask for that. Don't. It's tough. You have to know what you're doing. I love people come and say, Pastor, I don't want to bother you. Look, I know what I signed up for. I knew that my life was not going to be my own the moment I took on this responsibility. I knew I had to give up my, not only myself, but even my family. And I had to teach my kids that they had to be okay with relinquishing their father to do what God's called them to do, understanding that I would not forsake them in the process. See, see, all these things, all these, all these spaces, and we, we, we complain. Listen, come on, wait, welcome me for a second. Church folk, don't be hyper-religious on a Sunday morning. Have you ever complained to God? About what? You have breath in your body. What else do you need? Well, I just like for all this to work right, or I'd like for all this to be, never mind. Hey, don't, don't get it twisted. I look in the mirror and go, Jesus, help this. And then she says, work out. And I went, the devil's a liar. No. It's not a word from the Lord. Show me in the Bible where it says go to the gym. It does not say it. It does say gluttony is a sin, though. It does say that. I have to give her a hard time. She lives three doors down from me. So now we're going to fight in the neighborhood today. Amen. Um, and no, Michael, you can't come. No. Okay. Uh, so, so there's this, there's this space where we exist, where we, we spend our time complaining about God. Can I just say this to you? The moment you complain, what you tell God is, I would rather be dead than live. Because the moment you begin to complain to the Father about your existence, you tell him that the resurrection wasn't enough. And without the resurrection, you have no life. So the moment you complain, when I came back home from when I came back home from California, I told my wife, I said, "Listen, I'm putting a rule in, and we are going to really start working on this. That there is going to be no more complaining in this house, because complaining rejects God's plan for us." Yeah. Woo! You know how hard it is to stop complaining. You know how many times my wife check each other? Hey, stop it! Cut it out. Like, okay, I get it, because we've been conditioned to complain about what we don't have. But how about you worship God for what you do have? Martha knows who Jesus is. Jesus, if you just been here, you'd die. It's all your fault. Jesus goes, you know, I've known Lazarus was dead for four days now. And it wasn't even enough to compel me to move in the last four days. Why? Because in Christ, there is no death. Oh, I'm trying to help you see this. Because most people just read the story in the box and they see Lazarus in a borrowed tomb, uh, in a tomb and he's going to come out in his grave clothes and look at look what Jesus did. Jesus raised the, raised the dead to life. Isn't that great? No, there's a whole story space in this. That you and I miss a lot of times in our existence that we think that, that Jesus just wants to come pick. No, Jesus, the reason Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead is so the Son of God might be glorified in the earth. And so that God would get all the praise. There was a reason for it. There was a purpose for it. In John chapter 11, verse 22, it goes on. It says, but even now, this is Martha talking, but even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. 
This is hope rather than belief. Now, I, I said this, and I'm, I'm going to try to not get into a bunch of messages that I'm writing off on the side as well. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13, it says that, the great, that here's three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these things is love, right? That's what your word says. If you haven't ever read that, please go read your Bible. Amen. But that's what it says. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these things is love. Let me give you kind of the way God laid it out for me. Love is the foundation of everything. Without love, you're dead. Amen. Y'all with me so far? Okay, without love, you're rejected. Without love, you're abandoned. Without love, you're isolated. Without love, you're nothing. Okay? Love finds you in the ditch. Hope pulls you out of the ditch. Faith gives you the ability to climb the mountain. What I've learned over the years is that believers want to have faith, but they have no love. God, I want to climb the mountain. But you can't climb the mountain without the foundation of love, knowing that if you don't make it to the top, God still loves you. See, this is this is problem. And, and she says, she says, I, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Death in this moment was overriding life. And now Martha's stuck in a moment where she's trying to convince herself of what she actually believes. She argues and she, she complains to Jesus. If you'd just been here, you'd die. And then she turns around and says, but I know now because you're here that if you ask God for anything, he'll give it to you. I talk about just a flip flop of an emotion in the moment. This is what we do to God. We complain when we can't see God, but then when God shows up, we think, oh, well, well God, I'll just turn on my Christianese. I'll say it the way you always wanted me to say it because you're in the room. How come we can't say it when we can't see him in the room? Why couldn't she have just said, Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because I know whatever you ask of the Father, he'll do it for you. She didn't. She walked up and complained first because she her brother was dead. Y'all know how old Lazarus was? Lazarus wasn't a young dude. Lazarus was an old guy. He was not young in age at all. So it was kind of, it wasn't like a scary thing that he would kind of be at that moment of life. But she was mad because Jesus, this is what we do. Because he's not resurrected, we're still in the dead places. Listen, the longer you complain is the more you spend time at the casket mourning something that's dead rather than something that's living. There's a reason that dead things get buried is so that they go away so that you can move on. Oh, I'm trying to help you trying to help you. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. When I die, I've told my wife, please do not put me in a casket in this room or any other room and let people come look at my dead body. I am not there. Let me go. Put me in a hole. Let me disappear. If you need to look at me to live on, dear God, help you because I am dead. I am not here. I'm in heaven going, stop. Stop it. I just, I don't, but pastor, we're going to we're gonna love you. We will miss you and we wouldn't want you to die. I get it. I don't want anybody, I don't want to die. But to understand that death is a part of life and that God created it that way, then I come to the realization to stop getting lost in death, get lost in life. Don't celebrate that I'm gone, celebrate that I'm living. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I'm trying to help you here. Because this is what we do. We spend, we spend our lives standing at casket sides, at grave sites, mourning the old stuff rather than embracing what God's trying to do in us and through us. We're not living in the resurrection and the life. We're still living outside of the borrowed tomb, standing with the guards, trying to move away angels that want to roll away stones. We've not accepted that God doesn't have this purpose for us. And so we come into this place, and then we flip-flop our statements when God shows up, and we says, well, well, you know, you know you're here now, so you know, whatever you ask, God, we, we just know you'll do it. This, this Martha moment, is, it gets crazy. John, Jesus said to her in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Here comes Martha in her ignorance one more time. Now understand, Martha knows who Jesus is. She knows he's the Messiah. 
She knows he's the son of God. Here comes Martha again. Like, stop it. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That would have been enough for me. Listen, if Jesus said, I'm going to bark like a dog, I'm probably going to bark like a dog. If Jesus said, I'm going to quiet like, because he's Jesus, right? Come on, work with me for a second. If Jesus said it, that settles it, right? But just in this moment, Martha now looks at Jesus and goes, watch what he says here. I love what, she, what he says here. Give me to verse 24. Martha replied, I know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. I know that it'll happen one day. Oh, I got to just take a sidebar for just a second. Can you stop postponing what God wants to do right now? God says, I'm here, I am now, I am ever present, want to move on your behalf in this moment. Yeah, God, I know you want to, but I know you'll do it later. God, I want, I want to be healed, but I know one day I'll be whole. One day I'll, I'll make, one day I'll be married. One day I'll have a spouse. One day I'll be happy. One day I'll have joy. One day I'll have peace. One day I won't be miserable. One day I won't be lonely. One day I'll stop posting my life on Facebook. One <laughs> One day I'll actually act like I believe who I worship on Sunday. One day I'll actually be counted for who I am in you rather than who I am in me. One day the old will pass away. One day. Jesus said, you think I came for one day? I came for right now. Why did he wait for four days? Because four days prior to it, they wouldn't have been able to receive him. Because they would have been too caught up in the death rather than the desire for resurrection. So to understand this same process that God was on time when he saved you. You weren't by somebody said, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm old and I'm just getting saved. Baby, you got on time. The timelines were set up perfectly for this moment. You go, but, but I've messed. No, his plan is perfect. His plan is perfection. But pastor, I've done, no, you're, somebody said to me, pastor, I'm, I'm, this was years ago, a guy told me, said, I'm 40 years old, I'm just getting into ministry, and I feel like I've wasted 40, I said, no, you're right on time, because you weren't ready at 39, you weren't ready to be used by God by 30, at 39, everything in your existence right now is on time, can you just get over it, but what about, I did things that mess, okay, you think he doesn't know that? But in the process, he's adjusted to your mistakes, working on your heart, knowing that the moment you said yes, he would move you right back into the timeline so that you could still benefit in everything he has for your life and you would miss nothing in the process. I'm not going to miss a doggone thing. I'm not behind. My, I'm right on time. So are you. Martha said to him, I know that you'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Okay, we do that to God too. God, I know you'll do it one day. Have you ever said anything dumb like this to God? If you won't say yes, I will. Because I have. I've said really dumb things to God at moments. Okay. We go on in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Here it is. The word resurrection is defined as this. Rising again as from decay, disuse, etc. Another word that they put in there, which I think is amazing that Webster's Dictionary would actually put this word under resurrection, is the word revival. In order to be resurrected, you will be revived. You will have revival operate on the inside of you. You know, we pray for revival all the time, and I figured out why revival hasn't broken out. It's because we haven't been resurrected yet. We haven't been raised from dead things. We're still existing when dead things saying, God, send us revival. God says, I cannot revive what chooses to be dead. 
The wages of sin is death. Sin is a choice. It's not something that's put on you by your mama or a generational. No, you choose it. If, if it wasn't a choice, my God, help me, I'd be messed up. If I took on the sins of both my fathers, I'd be a jacked up dude. And I could stand here and go, well, I'm not this because of this, because this one did me wrong, because this happened, and da 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 Then I would be a failure to my four children and my wife. But I could be resurrected in the things of Christ and have revival on the inside of me and become the best husband and best father, although I didn't see it growing up. Hello. See, I don't have to be what I saw. I can be what he's called. Ah, I'm trying to help you. So, so the word resurrection is defined as a raising again as from decay. Aren't you tired of the smell of rotting things? Okay, uh, disuse, etc. it brings about revival. Stop celebrating death and celebrate the life that he brings you. And then he says, I'm not only the resurrection, not only do I rise you up from your bed of affliction, don't, not only do I pick you up, he says, but then I bring you life. The period of existence, activity or effectiveness of something, the life. The period of existence. So in other words, he said, I want to bring you up, I want to raise you up, and then I want to give you a period of existence, activity, effectiveness for something. In other words, in the resurrection and the life is where you find purpose. Trying to help you. But you cannot find purpose until you've been resurrected. You cannot find the life that Christ has for you. And let me say this to you. It's not the life that Pastor Brian has for you. It's the life that Christ has for you. Please do not call me and say, Pastor, I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know either. Because I didn't call you. Your word doesn't say Brian called you by name. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say Brian formed you in your mother's womb. It doesn't say Brian numbered the hairs on your head. It doesn't say Brian gave you the fingerprints on your finger. It says that God did. Please go to God. And can I just say as a sidebar, most of the reasons why we don't know the call of God on our lives is because we argue when he tells us what the call of God is on our life. And God says, I want you to say, I'm not doing that. That's not the call of God on my life. I'm not doing it. Nope, nope, nope. I'm not, I'm not changing poopy diapers and kitchens. I'm not doing it. I, I am above that. I am too holy. I, my place is in the sanctuary. But what if the baby's diaper that you were changing is the next mover and shaker for the kingdom of God that God wants to use, and yet you had an opportunity and a moment in your existence to love on that child. Maybe that mother and father couldn't love that child the way it needed to be loved, and you were that person who sat in the baby's room and rocked it, and then why as that child moved forward, he went on into the toddler room because you felt a call in that moment, and you saw that kid graduate from kids' church, and then they went into into youth group, and then they went into young adults, and then they went into Bible college, and now they're preaching and declaring the gospel to the multitudes, and, and they're seeing signs, miracles, and you go... Changed his diapers. But what nobody knew is while I was rocking him in his rocker in that baby room, I was declaring the word of God over him and declaring the promises of God over his life, believing that God would use him in a mighty way. See, this is what I'm trying to tell you. The, the, the positions and purposes are not chased. We, we, we find our, our, our calling, our pursuit in, our, in understanding that he is the resurrection and the life, the existence that we live. He says, I am the right now. Stop disregarding me in this moment. Not only will I heal your broken past, deliver you from your messed up present, but even give you a future and a hope. But I will call you and put you into the purpose that I have for you. Listen, stop doing things just to do them. Stop being crack fillers in the church and become people who help build the house. He takes you from pessimistic to optimistic. 
to stop you, stop you from seeing things in one dimension and start looking at things in a three dimension. Nothing is as flat as you think it is. It always has dimensions to it. It always has different turns to it. And, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in verse 25, he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall Watch this. I hate to break this to you. I'm never going to die. You go, Pastor, what are you like, superhero? Like you're never going to die? You're going to live forever? I'm never going to die. That's a crazy thought. I'm never going to die. See, used to, I used to think about this. If I die, then my kids are going to be without, my wife's going to be without. The only reason I think that is because I haven't poured enough in them yet. Because when I leave, they carry on. And it is the legacy that I leave. Look, listen, legacy is not birth until death happens. You cannot have a legacy on earth until you're gone. My grandfather is still building his legacy. You believe that? Because he's not gone yet. Because trust me, when he's gone, we'll talk more about him. So I'm good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I can't, I can't even do that. I feel totally convicted for even breathing that right there. Okay. Uh, I'm God. Okay. Truth be told is, is that because what happens is when something dies, it gets more press. Okay. Jesus said, I go to my father. I go to my father. Did he die? He's still living. Let me prove it. Watch. Let me prove it. You're in this room. Because of one death, there's a hundred and some of you in this room. Because of one death. Because what we see it as finality, he saw it as the beginning to a new thing. Here's the baton. Run with it. Take it. Carry it. Do greater than me. I'm going to cheer you on the whole way. And in the process, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort you because I know you're going to get tired. And if you think he doesn't understand weariness and tired, ask him what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, God, take this cup from me. He wasn't saying, God, I don't want to do this. He said, God, this is a big weight to bury. To, to take on, to carry myself. God, you're going to have to walk through this with me. God, God, if it pleases you, take this, take this one from me because I don't know if I can finish this one. And then he tells you greater things shall you do than he did. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he highlighted this because this, this leaps out of me. He says, he tells Martha, he goes, did, do you believe this? This kind of coincides with my conversation last week where I said, I'm tired of trying to convince believers to be believers. This has kind of become the motto of the church. Convince the church to be the church every week. When do you get off the milk and start eating whole foods? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. There's coming a time, and it's coming abruptly and quickly. And I'm not talking about the end of days and the last harvest and the rapture. I'm not even talking about that. Stop getting your eyes so off into heaven that you haven't even talked to your neighbor yet. Because I'm going to help you. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to say that. That's going to offend somebody. I hope... Uh, Sometimes God says things to you, and you're like, God, I can't. And then God goes, you're a Paul. Go for it. I'm like, no. What if, what if the access to heaven was whether or not your neighbor received Christ? 
Because what you didn't realize is that God assigned you to that house for the person living next to you. Oh, no, I just picked this house because I like this house. It's got a nice yard and it's got a nice room and it's got a nice kitchen. No, no, no. He puts you there on purpose so that you might reach those who are next to you. Why? Because that's being a true believer. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall never, he shall live. And whoever believes in me and lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I love what she says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God, who is what? Watch what he, watch what she says. Because we miss this, we miss this, who, we, who is to come. You're missing it. Underline the word is. To come. In other words, Jesus was in her midst, standing right there in the midst of a circumstance with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Martha has the gall, the audacity to look at Jesus in the face. And she says, you are the son of God who is to come, which means you have not come yet. It's amazing what death will do to somebody. It will cause them to one day, one day believe and then the next day become a doubter. Martha knew who Jesus was and looks him dead in the face and says, I know you'll come one day. I, 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 I read this. I'm like, how did Jesus just not go? God just like lightning bolt from him. Going, we're going to move that one out the way. Elijah comes down, bears from the woods. I don't know. But like I'm looking at this moment, and she has now devalued Jesus. Listen, when you don't know him, when he's not your resurrection in your life, he will have no value in your life. Therefore, he will have no investment in your life. Therefore, let me help you with something. Stop trying to withdraw from the bank you have no investment in. Jesus in sins for Mary, and she has the same sentiments. Watch in verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother... You would think Martha would have been like, Mary, shut up. Mary, stop. Mary, I just crawled up that hill. Don't do it. I just looked Jesus in the face and devalued him. Like, this is not a place you want to go. Shut up. But no, Martha's like, yeah. You yeah, preach, sister. Yeah. See, Jesus, we both agree. Can I just say this to you? Be careful that you don't have people around you that agree with your death tactics and death statements. Because all they want you to do is crawl in the same grave they crawl into every night. <sighs> if you come to me and go, Pastor, it's just not going to work. Trust me, I'm going to say something different. But if you want friends around you that will convince you that being dead is a better way to be, understand that this existence is going to get really rough and you're going to be spending a lot of time at a gravesite for the rest of your life. Verse 32, then when Mary came, Jesus said, Said Jesus saw him and she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus begins to groan in the spirit. Now, now I, I don't think Jesus was like, uh, uh, I think he was like, oh. can, can, I, can I just be carnal for a second? Can I be carnal? I know I'm supposed to be spiritual in the church and, and, and say everything supernaturally and religiously, but, but let me just say this. I, I, I think that Jesus, look, Jesus turned over tables in the synagogue. Okay, can I just, how I portray this moment, Jesus rubbing his head, probably grabbing the temples of his, you know, just massaging, woo-sign, goose-fraba, whatever he's trying to do, you know, praying, God, please don't let me kill him. Although you've given me power here on earth, I don't want to smite him. Like, God, these women have lost their mind. I, I'm just coming to get Lazarus out of a grave, and I'm being sidetracked by these two who know me better than this, but then they're sitting here and they're arguing with me. God, how? How? Can I just be honest with you? I think sometimes 
Jesus does that with us. Like, how many more performance tricks do I have to do before they finally get it? Can I just, can I just say this? We have reduced Christ to a parlor trick pony. Dance for me, monkey. Bang your tambourine. Make me feel better about myself rather than be the son of God trying to reconcile me back home. Understanding that to go home, you have to fall under the father's house rules. I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, He's troubled. It says in verse 38, I'm almost done, I promise. Pastor Ben, you can come on because if you don't come on, I'm going to preach all afternoon. Then y'all really going to be like, it's in two hours, Pastor. And then all of what I said is not going to work. Okay. Verse 38 says this. says, and Jesus, again, groaning. In other words, he was in disgust. Have you ever disgusted Christ? And I'm not talking about your sin. I'm talking about your disbelief. Did you know that disbelief is worse than sin? Sin you can repent for. Disbelief you have to literally get resaved for. <laughs> because you obviously don't believe in the one that saved you. I'm trying to help you. Then Jesus, again groaning in disgust at himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Oh, it sounds like the same place Jesus was buried. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench where he's been dead four days. There's been a stench. I got to say this. There's a stench in the church because we relive dead things more than we celebrate living things. Come on, work with me for a second. You know what a true believer looks like? One that doesn't embrace death but embraces the life that Christ gave us. Look, I'm, I'm preaching from this from a perspective where God has been checking me for four weeks. This has been tough. My whole world, and listen, I've been preaching. I've been in ministry since I was 19. I've been preaching for the last 13 years as a senior pastor. I preached years before that as a youth pastor. I, I have preached hundreds upon hundreds of messages. And at 41, I'm now more challenged today than I think I've ever been in my entire walk with God. That's crazy. How many times have I said one thing or thought one thing and yet in my actions, I've actually, I've actually caused a groaning in the heart of Christ? How many times have I, have I complained like, well, God, if you do this and this is going to... Shut up, Brian. Stop talking. He's in the room. Let him work. I, I realize now that, 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 that the, the, the delivered, set free Brian has been talking to the fleshly carnal Brian. Shut up. Let Jesus work. Martha and Mary, you'd have been better just sitting in the house and letting Lazarus come home. But you had to run out and say something. Because you thought it was your place to step up to the Father and say it's all your fault. What I'm learning right now is that I've got to let God be God. Let everything else ride. Stop arguing. Oh, but but it's going to smell. Yeah, it's going to smell, dummy. It's been in there for four days, rotten. Yes. Rigor mortis has set in. It's going to stink. Jesus says to her in verse 4, he says, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would 
see the glory of God. When he's not our resurrection in our life, we have no desire to see the glory of God. The glory of God is defined as this, a manifestation of all the attributes of God at one time. It's one of the reasons why the Bible says that we can't behold the glory of God because it's too much. The glory of God is a manifestation of all of God's attributes one moment. Could you imagine that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these things hits you like a freight train. Could you imagine a true transformation like that? Like that would mess you up. And it says, Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would what? See the glory of God. And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was was lying. And and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, God understand, Jesus hadn't said anything yet. Jesus hadn't even said anything yet. But the Father knew what was in him. The Father's response was to the condition or the faith that Christ was already operating in. Not into what he begged God to do, but what he knew he could do through Jesus. He says, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this. In other words, Jesus said, God, I really didn't have to say all this because you and I have a great relationship. I didn't even have to breathe. I didn't have to say anything. I could have just walked in the room and been like this. Probably been like, and done that, and it would have done it. Could have been like, whew. Could have pulled a matrix. Could have put a Jedi mind trick. I don't know. But he could have done anything in the moment. But he had to say it because people were in the area that believed that he was the Messiah but still doubted his, his abilities. Therefore, we're still dead and not raised to life. He goes on, it says, it says uh, uh, verse 43, Now when he had said these things, oh, sorry, let me go back. He says, And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. God, this is like I keep saying in the church. Why is it I got to keep preaching the same thing to get you to believe? If, if God raised Christ from the dead, should I have to keep telling you that? If the word says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, should I have to keep telling you that? If I keep telling, if I tell you, listen, he's the door to the Father's house. All who enter by that door shall be saved. Should I have to keep telling you that? Should I have to keep repeating, 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 repeating until finally we as a church go, oh, there it is. You know what drives me nuts as a pastor? I'm going to be honest with you. It drives me nuts. I hate bringing guest preachers into the church. You know why? Because they say the same thing I say every week. And I have to sit here and see the response. And I go, God, what did I do wrong? The Bible says a prophet's not rewarded in his own home. So I'm not mad about it. I get it's part of the game. I get it's part of the lifestyle that I choose. But, but sometimes I'm like, I just want to grab the church and put it in a bottle and just shake it till it wakes up. Don't ask me if God still does miracles. Yes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. Don't ask me if he desires to heal you. Yes. 
Don't ask me if you are going to make it. Yes. Pastor, Pastor, pray for me. Why? You're going to trip out when I say this one. But the Bible says you can lay hands on yourself and recover. But you've got to trust the God that dwells in you. Trying not to get off. Okay, verse 44, I promise I'm done. And he who had died came out. He said, okay, so verse 43 says, now when he said, verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bounce, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. The moment Lazarus came out was where Mary, where, where, was, where was Mary and Martha at that moment? You never hear about him in the moment. It says the people rejoiced. But Mary and Martha, where are they at? Where was their disbelief, fear, concern, struggle, weeping, sorrow? Where was their past, present, and future? When you know Jesus to be the resurrection and the life, you're not bound to your past, stuck in your present, or even focused on the future. You stand in the place that he covers every aspect. He is the revival in our lives. Live your life resurrected, not dead. I'm tired of church folk because they act dead more than they act alive. You start sitting there talking about the goodness of God and they can't even smile. Because we have to spend more time convincing rather than you just believing. I want to be around people that are excited about how good God is. But pastor, do you watch the news? Yes. Can I tell you what the news is? The news is a precursor to the move of God. Oh, you won't catch this one in a second. My wife asked me, how can you watch the news? It's all doom and gloom. It's all bad. It's, everything's bad. I said, listen, listen. The news tells me that God still has room to move. The news tells me that God's not done. Praise God, he's not finished yet. So when you see reports and you go, oh, the world's going to hell. Good, it was going to hell when God sent Jesus. Oh, you're going to catch this one in a second. The world was going to hell when he sent him the first time. Where does it have to be for him to come back the second time? So here's what I look at. I look at this this way. Okay, okay, I know. We go, oh, look, we're waiting for the white horse. No. I'm going to be the horse in the moment. In other words, I'm going to carry the chariot. And I'm going to walk into people's homes. I'm going to say, come on. God wants a part of your life. Let's go. But, but, but I don't want to do it. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want you to go to hell. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want you to go to hell. I can't. I can't afford for you to go to hell. It, it'll weigh too much on my heart if you go to hell. I can't. I can't think about. Well, I tried. I tried. No, try is only an option for failure. Try is only said when we choose not to follow it to the end. Try. Aren't you glad that God didn't just try with you? Oh. I'm so grateful God didn't just try with me. Man, am I grateful that he didn't just try with me. Because I look back over my life and, man, he could have quit. I gave him every reason to stop. I gave him every reason to wash his hands and go, Brian, I can't change you. I've had pastors tell me this. I'm unfatherable. Me. I've had pastors, well thought of preachers, tell me that I'm unfatherable, that I have an unfatherable spirit. When truth be told is that I didn't know how to have a fatherable spirit because all my daddies quit until I fell in love with God and found out that he was a better father than any human being could ever be in my life. And I embraced a hold of that thing and I rode that ride ever since. And when people come to me and say, Pastor, my dad hurt me. Okay, I can tell you how to get out of it. I can tell you how to get out of it. You got to cling to him. I know you want to cling back to the pain, the death, the burial, all the struggles. You want to stand by the tomb and hope one day he'll pop out. He's not coming out. You got to grab a hold of the one that's resurrected, the one that has life, and the one that will give you life. And stop worrying about what they didn't do and start worrying, start dealing with what he's trying to do in your 
existence. That's the difference between the resurrection and the life. I was supposed to die in my pain. Then Jesus came. Resurrected me. I said, Brian, don't look over your shoulder. Stop looking backwards. March. But God, it hurts. I know. But you're going to make it. I'll be right here with you. Every step of the way. And I know you'll get tired. But I say in my word to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But my burden is easy and my yoke is light. In other words, when you yoke up next to me, I carry you when you can't carry yourself. But we're going to finish this race together. See, here, here, here's the great part. Here's the great part. I, I told you guys last week, I said, I came out of California and God laid this word in my chest. He said, well, the second half of your life looked better than the first half of your life. Whoo! Because in all space of science, I'm supposed to live till I'm about 85. Which y'all know that's a lie. I'm going to live way beyond that. Even if I don't make it till 85, I'm going to live way beyond that. Amen. But so I'm looking at the second half of my life. Gosh, why are you going to be so morbid about it? Some of y'all are beyond the second half of your life. But doesn't mean you're out of time. You'll be on time when he becomes the resurrection and the life that you live. Not the life that you hope for. Okay, come on. Aren't you glad God saved you from the life that you hoped for? <laughs> Man, I thought about this the other day. I thought about a girl I dated, thought she was the one, realized God saved my happy behind from stupidity. Knocked some sense into my head, said that is a Delilah and a Jezebel all wrapped up in one. She will kill you. But God, she's the one. No, she's not. Shut up. And then walked me to one of the most worst situations of my life. But yet delivered me from pain for the rest of my life. Don't look at where you are and say this is the final spot. Because if this is the final resting place for your existence... You've not only stood at the grave, you've climbed, you've climbed into the grave and said, throw the dirt on me, I'm done. Don't make your world final until God says it's over. Let him become the resurrection and the life just for you. Everybody stand to your feet.